called Things Mysterious, where we talk about true crime, the paranormal, and the unexplained. I'm Matt. And I'm Jordan. Thank you for joining us. Jordan, how do you feel about reincarnation? I believe in it. So what I'm hearing is you don't believe in it. But what if I told you after this episode, I could make you a believer in reincarnation? Okay, well, uh, you probably could convince me. And I'm sure I could because you don't believe in it at all. Not one bit. Nope, sure do not. So I have a case in front of me that is probably one of the best examples of reincarnation. I'm intrigued. Even you with your skepticism over there can't deny this. I look forward to being educated. We're told death is final. But what if it's not? The idea of reincarnation is one that's been around for centuries. There are hundreds, if not thousands of stories of reincarnation. But this one is the most compelling one I've ever read in my life. Do you know what that story is? I don't, but I have a feeling you're about to tell me. Join us next week for that and the story and others. Just kidding. Matthew! This is the story of the Pollock sisters. Now, on one hand, this could be just a story fabricated by grieving parents, or it could be the most compelling story of evidence of reincarnation that you'll ever hear. You decide, and if you choose the former, you're wrong. Great. Super excited. Let's go, let's start with a little history of the Pollock family. John and Florence were a happily and devout Catholic family. They lived in Bristol, England. They were members of the Roman Catholic Church. And by 1957, they had six children, four boys and two girls. And I will be completely honest, I did a lot of research into this, but I could not find one story about the boys which shows me that they're really not important to the story. So I don't even know why they mentioned it in any of their stories. But I digress. The family had managed a small grocery store and a milk delivery service. Joanna, the eldest daughter, was born March 25th, 1946. When Joanna was four, they moved to Hexham, England where the second daughter, Jacqueline, was born April 13th, 1951. Joanna and Jacqueline were very close. And Joanna, Joanna, Joanna often taken a motherly role with Jacqueline. At the age of three, Jacqueline fell and hit her forehead on the rim of a, bu- of the rim of a bucket. It resulted in a cut that requires three stitches. Now, Keep that little bit of information in the back of your mind. This will come into play later. Because she was left with a small scar that was in between her eyes, just above her nose. Tucking that information back. Got it. Now, Joanna would write and produce small plays that she would wear different costumes and perform them in front of her family. Uh, Both girls enjoyed combing each other's hair, especially their father's which 
if you have good little girls, you know that's not uncommon. That's actually pretty common. Uh, they also enjoyed playing at the park in Hexham. So now we're going to get into not the fun stuff. Everything with the family was good until May 5th, 1957. Joanna, Jacqueline, and their friend Anthony, age nine, were walking to church on the sidewalk. At the same time, Marjorie Wynn had taken aspirin and phenobarbitwin. I'm probably slaughtering that, but um, it's an epilepsy me- me- medication with the intention of overdosing. She then got in her car intending to speed up the process. Uh, Witnesses had reported that Marjorie was driving erratically, uh, speeding down the road, which granted it's 1957, so I don't know what the top speed of cars back then were, but... uh, Probably not that fast, but all right, go on. So she ended up driving erratically, speeding down the road, uh, trying to find a way to kill herself. And she came up to a a brick building with some kind of divider, uh, like a, basically a wall right in parallel with it, kind of. Um, and I know I'm not describing that very well, but she then decided to drive onto the side of the walk and crash into that concrete barrier. The problem was was that three children were sitting and standing in front of that barrier. Uh, she ended up driving on, hitting the barrier, and killing or hitting all three children, killing Joanna, Jacqueline instantly. Anthony would die on his way to the hospital. Now there is conflict, conflicting reports on if she hit the kids on purpose or if she was just trying to crash and kill herself. Um, that is still up for debate, but. Her motivation for this was because she wanted to die because her own children were taken away because of her mental health. Uh, she would she ended up being committed to a psychiatric facility and didn't get any prison time. Which at first that kind of upset me a little bit, but I think that was probably the right call in this case. Yeah, she seemed like she had some real problems. Yeah, and regardless of the reason why. Ultimately, two families were devastated at the loss of their children. But this story is not about Anthony. This story is about Jacqueline and Joanna and the Pollock family. And of course, John and Florence are devastated at the loss of the girls. Uh, before the accident, before the accident, John had always believed in reincarnation. Uh, keep that information back to that will come in handy later um, which if you're familiar with the Catholic faith it doesn't necessarily go along with the Catholic faith to believe in reincarnation uh, which that honestly caused some stress between him and his wife because you know devout Catholics she didn't believe in reincarnation so in fact it almost led to them getting a divorce but after the girl's passing, Florence became pregnant again. Not too long after, I mean, it was probably a few months after, because I think they were born a little over a year after the accident. That's fast. Yeah. Uh, and John was convinced that they were gonna have twins. Uh, no twins in their family. There was no reason for him to believe that they were gonna have twins. 
but he so strongly believed that he was going to have twins. And that not only they were going to have twins, but it was going to be his daughter's reincarnated. Obviously, Florence wasn't convinced. The doctors weren't convinced. Uh, they all thought, you know, they all figured it was going to be a single pregnancy. Uh, but John still was convinced, and he would bring it up often, that these, they were going to have twins. And turns out, he was wrong. Just kidding, he was right. Uh, on October 4th, 1958, Florence gave birth to twin girls. And they end up naming the girls Jillian and Jennifer. Uh, the twins did many things that either mimicked their deceased sisters or said things that they couldn't possibly know. And that gets us into the evidence for this. Done, done, done. So, are you ready to have your mind blown and prove, you know, believe in reincarnation once and for all? Yes, I am. Please blow my mind. I am prepared. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, now, despite being identical twins, they both had different birthmarks. Is, is that normal? Is that not normal? Apparently, it's highly unusual, uh, which I, I didn't know this know. either. I didn't either. So I had actually looked <laughs> this up because uh, that's the one thing that they kept... And we'll get into later why that's important uh, and specifically why they brought up the birthmarks because there is a reason behind it. Uh, but apparently it is unusual for twins to have different birthmarks. Jennifer had a small birthmark on her left hip, which was similar to the one that her late sister Jacqueline had. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And now, do you remember about the scar on uh, that Jacqueline had earlier? Ah, from the bucket. Yep, the bucket. The bucket. So, um, Jennifer also had a birthmark on her forehead, right in between her eyes, just above her the bridge of her nose. Now, not that I'm a believer of reincarnation or anything, but um, I've heard that there is believed to be some sort of link between birthmarks and um, the method or the way that a person has died in their past life. Yeah, so they, we don't get into that much, but yeah, there are, uh, that is one of the theories that uh, I've heard, you know, about like your birthmark is directly related to how you died in the past. Um uh, Obviously, in this case, it doesn't necessarily, that doesn't really help prove it because she didn't die from the bucket. No, but it does leave kind of like a mark or a scar. That's kind of neato. Yeah. So, um, and then when the twins are three months old, the family moves to Whitley Bay, which is just east of Hexham. As the twins grow, they are able to describe Hexham without ever being there except for as babies. And granted, this is in, you know, 1960, so there's not internet. I honestly don't even know if they had TV back then. Okay. That was the what dark age ages. are they at this point? At that time, they are, um, they're, they're in between, they're about two years, two years old or so, um, because at age four, they moved back to Hexham. 
It doesn't really. Okay, so at age four they moved back. Well, how well can you describe that? Yeah, that, that's what it kind of. That's why that that's not the best evidence. But you know, I got to start it out with the least likely and move up to the really. Well, Matt compelling. organizes his theories. That's nice. I just throw <laughs> mine all in there. Anyways, interesting. Continue. So at age four, they moved back to Hexham. Um, and then after moving back to Hexham, the twins are able to point out landmarks in the city. Okay, that's significantly more exciting. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And this includes the school that Joanna and Jacqueline attended, the Hexham Abbey, and the playground the girls used to play at. They even knew how to get to the park that the girls used to play at. And I'm assuming they probably wouldn't have a single clue where those were at otherwise. Exactly. Um, And on a little side note here, after even doing all this research, I never actually took the time to look at what Abby was. So I have no idea what that is, but apparently it's very important to the story. Matthew. I just, you know, how my mind works. (laughs) It's probably not important to know what an Abby is. I'm not even... I can't with you. <laughs> okay, now we're getting into the really, really strange details that could, that's going to just push you over the edge. Okay, I am prepared to be amazed and astounded. So, they were able to identify their deceased sister's toys by name. I'm assuming they had like specific names for the mm-hmm. toys. Okay, that makes more sense because like I'm assuming it's not going to be like, yeah, that's the ball I played with. No. Nope. Okay, that makes more sense. Like dolls, they would know what their sister, you know, their deceased sisters called them and would correctly identify the correct doll. Um, and Florence, you know, didn't get rid of any of the toys, obviously, because they had sentimental value. But she also didn't keep them out for the kids to play she kind of stored them away so for them to be able to get to them and actually identify them uh and they the the twins would ask for specific toys for each sister okay as, so they would like correspond yeah so like as if they were remembering that they were their toys interesting very interesting. I see where this is going, Matthew. And now, too, since I've been so compelling, you know, I don't want to push you over the edge quite yet. So we're going to get into oh, some... Oh, we're reeling it back. Okay. Yeah, we're reeling it back just a bit. Um, because the, the twins were said to have similar personalities to their late sisters. Joanna was always protective of her younger sister, Jacqueline. And Jillian was born 10 minutes before Jennifer. On top of acting more mature, she also seemed to watch over her sisters, her sister Jennifer, much like the way Joanna watched over Jacqueline. Uh, obviously, that's not super compelling because personalities, you know, with especially within families, can be, you know. But the parents also noted that the twins enjoyed the same food and games as their late sisters. Hmm. Hmm. Very intriguing. And now, you know, Florence was like you. She was a skeptic. She didn't believe in this at all. Yeah, I definitely don't believe in it at all. 
and she never really took stock, much stock in John's insistence that the sisters were reincarnated. However, that all changed when she overheard the twins talking about the car accident in detail. I just got goosebumps. That was the moment that changed her mind. That would freak me out. It would, and it freaked me out too. Uh, now, keep in mind, the they were not very open with the car accident to the children. I mean, and there's no real reason to be, so. Exactly. Uh, so for them to be able to, you know, basically talk about the accident, talk about details that they shouldn't have been able to know, that is just, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're to the point where you're almost a believer in reincarnation at this point. You almost got me. This part will definitely push you over the edge. And this part is a little disturbing. Um, your discretion is advised. Uh, on one occasion, Florence overheard the girls playing a game where they recreated the sister's accident. That's twisted. Yeah. So Jillian was sitting on the floor holding Jennifer's head as she laid on the floor saying, the blood's coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. Oh my God. Oh, God. And on a different occasion, Jillian pointed to Jennifer's birthmark on her forehead and told her, that is the mark Jennifer got when she fell on a bucket. That That's compelling. It is. That is and, very compelling. You know, I, I know I kind of, I've converted you into a believer in reincarnation. Um, All by yourself. Yes. Single-handedly. In just a few short minutes. I know. I, I'm just that good. Uh, the twins also seem to have a fear of cars and experience reoccurring nightmares about being hit by a car. And so much so, anytime they were near cars, they would become frightened and anxious. John recalls a time when a car started its engine in an alleyway and the girls grabbed onto each other in terror, both shouting, the car is coming to get us. Well, that would just break my heart into pieces. Yeah, but I'm, see, I'm not saying that in this situation I would be, but if like, minus the girls dying, you know, originally, I would be totally the dad who would be like, yeah, the car's coming to get you, you better run. No, you would. I you totally would. You would 100% with your girls. You absolutely would. And I'm pretty sure I've probably done something like that in the past. I'm but. pretty sure I've seen you do it. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure I have. Okay, so let's wrap this up since I've already made you a believer. Uh, when the girls turned five, and th this all happened before they were five. So fast. Yeah. That's not a lot of time, um, but for them to, in five years, convince their mom, like their dad, you know, believed it from the beginning, but to convince, convince their mom that they were reincarnated is pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive because she was a pretty hard skeptic. Oh, yeah. You know, like me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, just like how I converted you to a you know, believer in reincarnation in, in this short time. Absolutely. The did it to their mom, too. Uh, and you're also, you know, which will 
you're going up against a pretty powerful force. Religion, you know, is very powerful to a belief system. So I mean, you take that into account, the fact that, you know, she was a believer. I mean, that is amazing to me. Um, but when the girls turned five, basically most of their memories of their past lives disappeared, including the accident. Jillian was still able to describe their house in Wickham, which she had never been to. Uh, but she could she could describe the garden, uh, you know, the house and garden in perfect detail. Uh, it was the same house they lived in when Joanne was four. But the girls would go on to live normal lives. Florence would pass in 1979 and John in 1985. Uh, and as far as I can tell, the girls are both still alive. But they don't have any memories of their past lives or anything. So let's get into the theory of this case. And since I know you're on the side of the, you know, believers on this one. <laughs> let's talk. Let's let's go with the first theory. And the one that you mostly agree with now is that this is proof of reincarnation. Uh, proponents obviously use this case as an example of why reincarnation must exist. The evidence is too great to dismiss. Uh, there is a lot of evidence for it. And one of those proponents is Ian Stevenson. He's a pioneering reincarnation researcher. He heard about the case in 1963 from newspaper coverage. That same year, he met the family at their home. He interviewed the parents at length and examined the girls' birthmarks. And they were four at the time. He would meet the family three more times over the years, once in 1967, 1978, and finally in 1982. In the 1978 visit, he did a blood test on the girls to determine zygosity. And I know you're looking at me with that blanking expression like, what the heck is zygosity? And I'm probably saying that wrong. But to answer your question, that is the degree that a chromosome or gene had the same genetic sequence. Interesting. Ultimately, it it, it's to, to determine how much of identical twins they actually are. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And... And the, the test determined that they were monozygotic or identical, which makes some of these person the fact that they had separate personalities and, you know, different birthmarks and because uh, a lot of times personalities for, you know, twins, especially when they're younger, they'll be more alike. And then when they get older, they kind of deviate more, uh, which I could be totally wrong. And that's just from my personal experience. But he's all wrong. <laughs> I'm never wrong. Uh, so the final visit in 1982, he met with Jillian and he would go on to write a detailed case report for the second volume of reincarnation and biology, a contribution to the etiology of birthmarks and birth defects. Which I don't know why. That, basically, that book is just based on you know a lot of what he did in his interviews and stuff. I'm not going to go into do, too much detail because unfortunately I can't find the second volume of Reincarnation and Biology in my local library, so I couldn't actually read it. Such a disappointment. Now, to go 
back to your original stance and how you didn't believe in reincarnation at all and you were a total skeptic, which I've converted you from, but uh, that goes into theory two. Back to my original beliefs, okay. That this case is fabricated by grieving parents, either intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, critics say that all of the memories the girls recounted could have easily been told to them by their older siblings. Remember they had four brothers that we only mentioned once and totally forgot about? I mean, to an extent, yeah, but like, there's only so much of that that you can fake, I would think. Yeah. Now, I will I will stand on the side of the skeptics for just a second and say that all this evidence that we have is the parents' word for the most part. Uh, Touche. But however, that doesn't mean that it's wrong either. Uh, and obviously, the fact that the mom went from a total skeptic to a believer, that that to me is the most valid evidence there. That's true because for, for somebody to go against their own religious beliefs is mm-hmm. huge. Exactly. So now they say, as for the birthmarks, obviously they say that's just coincidence. Um, the similar personalities could just be a combination of the parents' grief and memory. Memories change in the fit the idea that the you know girls were reincarnated. Um, even though John Florence claimed they never talked to the twins about the deceased sisters until they were older, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that the brothers or even the grandma. Uh, aunts or uncles could have mentioned them. That's true. There's other outside forces. Yeah. And I wanted to mention that one thing I didn't mention that I should have is that um, the grandma of the sisters would actually live with them to take care of the sisters while the parents were working. So they did spend a lot of time with their grandma. So that's another possibility that they could have been told. So did the grandma mention any of this behavior? She never really said anything, but she never went against the family either as far as the, you know, mm-hmm. evidence that they were coming out with. Uh, but she also never publicly, at least none that I could tell, find, I could never find any instances where she publicly, of course, you know, she probably passed away. Well, of course, but that just makes me wonder because if she was there, she obviously she was living with them she would have witnessed exactly. the behavior as well because at that point if the parents were the only people necessarily witnessing the behavior obviously the brothers would have witnessed it as well mm-hmm. um there would have been so many more people to see it notice it to experience it um the brothers may not have been as attentive to the behavior as noticeable um but like you would think that the grandmother would, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe she was just. You said that they were Catholic. Maybe she was. Mm-hmm. It could go either way. Like, maybe she's silent because she really truly believes and she just wants to stay out of it. Or maybe she's silent because she's not want any part of that. Yeah, and exactly, and that's that's kind of the. I mean, it could go either way on this one. Um, but the fact that she never, I mean, you got to take into account that back in the 1960s, this was a big story. This made the newspaper, 
that's how Ian Stevenson had heard about them is because he read it in the newspaper. Uh, so it wasn't a you know small story that just came out after the fact. It was a pretty big story at the time. Uh, so the fact that the grandma never publicly stated that you know this information was false kind of leads me to believe that maybe it was you know she at least believed it was accurate too. Uh, That's fair. That makes sense. Because somebody, she would have talked to somebody, even if it was a friend or, you know, someone from her church or anything like that. Somebody would have came out and said, hey, she didn't believe in this at all. It's true. Uh, There's always people who like to stir up drama, especially people in the church. I know. Especially Boy, people, Especially people who don't believe in reincarnation like Jordan. Man, I'm a drama stirrer. Let me tell you guys. Like... Boy, am I the drama stirrer. Just stirring all the pot over here. So, I asked you at the beginning what you thought of reincarnation. Yeah. So, I will ask you again. Do you think the Pollock sisters confirmed the long-held idea that reincarnation is in fact real? Or is it a hoax perpetrated by grieving parents meant to keep their deceased daughters alive? And instead of asking you the question, let's ask the audience because we'll let the audience be the judge. That's all we have time for today, people. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to All Things Mysterious. Be sure to like, share, and follow. All links to all of our social media will be in the description below. As always, here at All Things Mysterious, we keep you guessing. <laughs>